1: My name is Elisa Minkin, I'm a general pediatrician, and I'm also the co-chair of the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association Preventative Health Podcast, and I'm really excited to be here tonight with Dr. Rebecca Galibter. Am I pronouncing your name right? Yep, you got Hi. it. Hi, thank you. Hi. Dr. Galipter is a pediatric endocrinologist and a partner at Comprehensive Endocrinology in Bergen County, New Jersey. She received her undergraduate degree in neuroscience and biology from the Macaulay Honors College of the City University of New York, graduating magna cum laude with Phi Beta Kappa honors. She then attended Albert Einstein College of Medicine and received her medical degree with distinction and research in 2013. She completed her internship and residency in pediatrics at Rutgers New Jersey Medical School in 2016 and her fellowship subspecialty training in basic in, sorry, in pediatric endocrinology and diabetes at the Children's Hospital in Montefiore Medical Center in 2019. So I thank you so much. Can I call you, Rebecca? Of course. Thank you. Good. So we are going to talk about what I um, called in a nice way, weight concerns in childhood. I have to say that I have not yet spent as much time talking to the person I'm going to interview as I have with you, probably <laughs> all put together. And that's because it's so sensitive. It's such a sensitive topic. Definitely. Um, so we, we kind of basically, you know, really obsessed together on how to talk about this in a way that we're, we're really hoping is going to be sensitive. I mean, we really have like what I think of as an obesity bias in our society, Um, it it can mean, um, children who get bullied in school because of their weight. It could be, you know, leading to inadequate medical care because, you know, they're, they're just getting treated as someone who's overweight and everything else falls by the wayside. Um, could be inadequate, you know, um, comfortable chairs in a waiting room, for example, there's so many things and it's so Mm -hmm. important to be sensitive and careful how we approach weight concerns. So that's why I'm calling it the no blame, no shame approach and i Definitely. have to add also yeah i have to add also that covid-19 has made it so much harder you know they say the covid-19 100%. yes people are are not moving as much they're they're bored they're eating more it's really really hard but i think the most important thing is just to be able to talk about it and not you know to feel like we we can't even talk about it so Definitely. i want to Yes, I want to finally give you a chance to talk. And I'm going to ask you first just to do the definitions, the basic
2: definitions of the words that we use as doctors when we talk about weight. Definitely. Uh, First, thanks so much for having me. Um, And before I actually even talk about the definitions and the BMI cutoffs, um, which I will do in a moment, I just want to say that while BMI is definitely an important tool and it's something that should be measured usually at least yearly, um, it is just a number. It's not perfect. It's not the be-all and end-all. Uh, but it's what we have, it's needed for some quantification. So we, so to speak, speak the same language, research can be done, um, we know what to look for, we know what to screen for, um, but it is it's just a number um, that's important um, for you know, doctors. And it is important for families to understand what it means, but it is not something that a family, a parent and child, it's not something they need to obsess over. In some cases, parents don't want to, even know the number and that's fine. The child mm-hmm. doesn't want to know the number and that's totally, totally fine. Right. What is a BMI? Um, so it's a body mass index and that is um, a measure that we have. Not It's not perfect, but it is um, the relation of the um, child's height to their weight. Um, and it's in children between two and 18, we use certain percentiles. Um, so in, not just the number, we use the actual percentile. So Um, Anyone with a BMI less than the 5th percentile is considered um, underweight. Um, Between the 5th and the 85th percentile is considered an appropriate weight. From the 85th to the 95th percentile is considered overweight. Um, And then greater than the 95th percentile is obese. And then greater than the 99th percentile is called severe obesity. So those are... These are all just the different cutoffs from from the CDC, AP, Endocrine Society, kind of agreed upon by all the, you know, different uh, medical organizations. Right. Now, I'm going
1: to say some things that I've heard from my families. Um, One I've heard Mm -hmm. a number of times is the BMI is really not accurate. Um, It's really affected by how muscular you are.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, the BMI, it's not, it does not take into account uh, muscles and there are plenty of complicated you know equations and things that we can do and measuring that, but the BMI is important as a tool that gives a measurement. But it's practical to do. You know, it's practical to do yearly at the pediatrician's office. It's practical for, um, you know, a medical assistant um, to you know weigh and um, you know do the height of a patient so that this can be calculated. So it's 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 definitely not perfect and. Um, you know, like we'll talk, the different BMIs um, have different um, things that we, you know, that we're concerned about. But it's it doesn't mean that everyone with a BMI in a certain range is going to um, be the same at all.
1: Right, and I think also that when you think of percentiles, rate. Right, I mean, there are going to always be people at all ends of the spectrum who. I don't want to say the word normal because. That's kind of the whole point of this. Exactly, right, right. But who may still be healthy. They may still be healthy. I do see families with children who are technically very thin, but they've always been that way or technically are coming on higher BMIs but they've always been that way. And I, for me, an important piece is the trajectory. So if a child is on, you know, the BMI curve of the 70th percentile and the next time they're at the 95th percentile, I'm a lot more concerned than if they've been at the 95th percentile all
2: along. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely changes. Sudden changes um, are definitely um you know, more concerning than someone who's kind of always been on that trajectory, Mm -hmm. uh, 100%. Um, And to your your first point, 100% um, kids with a BMI in the obese range, in the overweight range, does not mean that they are not healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, They can be healthy in those ranges. Um, It just means that they are at risk for other things, um, other medical problems, um, statistically. But again, someone in those BMI's that are in the overweight range and the obese range, they can be healthy. It's more, and like we'll talk about, it. it's more about the healthy habits. It's a more about the lifestyle. It's not the focus on the number. Right. What I'm getting at is I do see
1: families who are very healthy and their children are always tracking on a healthier um part of the curve. And often they'll say, Hey, I was the same way as a child and the same for underweight. Yeah. You know, I've seen yeah. doctors who kind of, I feel like over medicalize children who are the body shape they've meant, been meant to be. As long as they have healthy habits and they're growing on their curve, I treat those families as fine and healthy.
2: Definitely. And, you know, a lot of it, you know, like we'll talk about it, is genetics. So it mm-hmm. is common to say, you know, for the parents to say, Oh, I was just like that. Um, you know, and, you know, want to make sure though that that's why. You know, talking to the families, getting their medical histories. The parents might be the same way and and have medical problems, even if they're eating healthy and have healthy lifestyles, because that's genetics, and that um, is you know nothing is not everything is is modifiable, unfortunately.
1: Right, and let's talk a little bit about those um, not modifiable things, those genetics factors, please. Yeah.
2: So you know, most um, most of You know, pediatric um, obesity, overweight is commonly a combination of, um, you know, environmental factors, um, genetics, epigenetics. There's a lot of research about metabolic programming um, during gestation, during early infancy, and all these things kind of, um, you know, work together to, um, to cause it. And... Overall, um, less common causes are um, endocrine disorders. I mean, I see them more commonly, but overall in the general population, um, there are endocrine disorders that can um, cause, you know, obesity such as thyroid disease, um, elevated adrenal hormones, other hormonal problems, which is definitely important to keep in mind. Right. I have two thoughts. Thought number
1: one is... um, Mm -hmm parents often do say, oh, can you check their thyroid? Can you check for something right. hormonal?
2: Yeah. No, that's definitely something common that I see both from pediatricians, from patients mm-hmm. um, that, either that come to me or um, just speaking to people. So it's definitely something that needs to be considered. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean, and actually most uh, patients don't need an actual laboratory workup. Um, a lot of it's based on um, history, or based on symptoms. Um you know that in the patient and the family um, one of the specific things especially in children um, because they are growing is that usually um, kids that are either overweight or obese are actually taller than let's say you might expect for their family um, and that's because they have usually um, increased um, estrogen levels that cause the bones to grow um, but if someone is um, either overweight or obese and they actually have short stature or they're not growing well, mm-hmm. that is a lot of times a clue for an endocrine disorder. And then those um, those are not the only children, but that is one of the common times where um, the endocrine causes are worked up.
1: Right, and they should be seeing an endocrine at that point. Yeah,
2: definitely at that right. point. Mm-hmm. Are, there, are there other things for people to look out for that might um, not be typical obesity? Yeah, so other things are there these... Um, genetic, um, obesity syndromes that cause not just the genetics that I'm talking about that cause that are just causing, um, you know, red quote unquote regular obesity, but these are syndromes that cause severe obesity, usually, um, early onset, you know, as young as, you know, two, three, four, like definitely less than five. Um, usually they have other, um, typical clinical features of that syndrome. Um, and that is again, just important to, to note, Um, Not honestly, because of different treatments. Honestly, a lot of these different genetic um, obesity syndromes, there are genetic testing for and it's I think it's important for families to know. And there's tons of research being done. But for many of these syndromes, there aren't actually even specific treatments. So the treatment for those children are the same, you know, lifestyle modifications, health um, you know, health modifications. There are a couple of them have, you know, some specific um, specific targeted treatments, but most of them do not. So at this point, um, hopefully in the future there will be, but um, at this point, it's still the same, you know, lifestyle modifications that we'll talk about.
1: Right. And so that's why, you know, parents are looking for the cause of the weight and the vast majority right. of the time, it's really just they're taking in more calories than they're expending right. energy. Um, And I just want to bring up one point that you kind of mentioned um, that's really, really important that I find in my practice is for Mm -hmm. families to understand when you're looking at the height percentile in a child that's overweight, because they tend to be taller, um, what happens often is that later they finish growing faster.
2: Yes, definitely
1: we see that. Right. And so, you know, um, we can talk about the consequences very briefly, you know, the, what we call the comorbidities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I discussed earlier that I don't want to focus on it too much because I do find yeah. that most people know it's not good to be overweight right. and it can lead to problems right. and parents are frantic right. and I don't right. want to make it worse. But I do find right. it helpful to focus on the height issue because especially for boys, um, it's a motivation for them to not gain weight as fast because their ultimate height will actually be
2: taller. Right. Right. Um, So kind of two things that you mentioned um, in terms of, right, these, these children, a lot of times being taller than you may think. So like I mentioned, it's because um, the adipose cells secrete estrogen. Mm -hmm. um, And estrogen is one of the primary hormones that cause bones to grow and for kids to grow tall, even in boys. Um, especially before puberty, um, sometimes actually if it's if the levels um, increase you know to a certain point, it could actually even cause early puberty um, and then that can cause obviously a series of other problems including like you mentioned short stature um, but that's I mean that's not definitely not one of the the com- again what I see as common is definitely <laughs> relative to what I see, but um, in the general population it's just more you'll usually just see more of the taller stature than you may have expected and not necessarily causing early puberty. Um, Things that we do see, and there's, you know, tons of research about, um, are these other medical problems that, again, Mm -hmm. not everyone in these BMIs are going to have, but they are more likely to have in the future, like type 2 diabetes, um, high blood pressure, sleep apnea, um, heart disease at a young age. Mm -hmm. And these are all things that we want to try to prevent. And that's the whole underlying reason, you know, why we care about this. We don't care because of how um, children look. We care because um, we want to keep our kids healthy and we want to prevent these things. Um, And, you know, in society, like you mentioned, there unfortunately is so much stigma and shame. um, And you might think like, well, hey, let's not talk about this because this is causing so much, so much shame. But, we need to talk about it because we need to keep our kids healthy, but we need to talk about it in a way without stigma, without shame. Um, you know, It's a risk factor for disease, so we need to diagnose it, talk about it, address it, um, so that we can really deal with it in a sensitive um, and age-appropriate way. Right, and when we say sensitive way, um, some of my parents have started to do this,
1: and I think it's good. Before I even walk in the room, they've already told the the um, medical assistant, please tell the doctor not to discuss this in front of my child. I will talk to the doctor separately. That is appropriate. That is advocating for your child. And if the doctor, if the doctor is speaking in a way that you feel is insensitive, um, it is
2: appropriate to not in front of your child.
1: Please Um, talk to the doctor separately.
2: I I get. calls before you know because sometimes I'm getting referrals you know for these reasons I'll get mm-hmm. calls from parents before I see them and I'm happy to talk to them you know before the visit and they'll say you know and every kid is different but they'll say don't talk about this in front of my child or do talk about it or right don't mention this but mention this and you know no one knows your child like you as a parent no matter you know pediatrician endocrinologist nutritionist like you as a parent know that your child the best so if you know that you know, hearing something is not going to be helpful, it's going to be harmful, 100% let us know. Right. And one p- point from a previous
1: thing we talked about, but I'm still on the height. Um, <laughs> because you, I'm sorry, this is oh, important. I, I, I that I'm a <laughs> I know. I, I, know. High,
2: don't
1: I know. So, it, what's important is you mentioned before if the child is short. So, mm-hmm. children who are average height and overweight. Parents are often not worried and the doctor may not be worried. But I think both the doctor mm-hmm. and the parents should be worried because if they're yeah. significantly overweight and their average height and we just had this happen with one of our patients who's gonna be profoundly short, he was tracking right. normal but he went right through puberty.
2: Right. Well also average average is relative so for me average it's me it's it doesn't mean the 50th percentile for height it depends how tall the parents are it depends no 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 um, I, I, mean know, old old I mean five one for a male
1: i mean five foot just, one for a male i mean short male <laughs> right
0: right
1: he's, he's 17 you know i mean right. people don't realize that they real they have to realize that one of the comorbidities of being overweight is going being taller and also going through puberty and having the bones, you know, stop Mm -hmm. growing earlier. Earlier for sure. So they have to pay attention to height because if the child is actually not tall, but significantly overweight, they may have relative short stature and that happened to a family of mine. And it took to the fourth kid before they realized they needed growth hormone.
2: Right. No, there's definitely, and that's, you know, like I mentioned, that's um, not the only, but definitely one of the, um, you know, one of the important things to notice um, in, in these patients that maybe it's, it isn't an, an underlying endocrinological issue. Right. Um, and I, I obviously see that all the time. Right. And this is part of, by the way, um, sensitive,
1: um, compassionate care for people who are overweight.
2: Right. Definitely.
1: Giving them Again, the real care they about, need and not just focusing on the numbers.
2: Exactly. It's not about the number. It's not, it's not how they look. It's not that I care about the number. It's I want them to achieve their, um, their height potential. I want them to not have, you know, diabetes, I want, you know, it's about these um, health outcomes. Right. And we talked a little
1: earlier before this talk about differentiating between things that can masquerade as just regular obesity, like conditions, but on the flip side, when you're starting to see the comorbidities in terms of what the parent might look for, what the doctor might look for. Um, Yeah. So so, diabetes, for example, what would be signs?
2: So one of the things, right, that I definitely get um, the most commonly is either diabetes or even pre-diabetes. So we have cutoffs mm-hmm. for pre-diabetes. So um, being super thirsty all the time, um, going to the bathroom multiple times during the day, um, waking up at night to go to the bathroom, um, especially in teenagers is not normal. They normally are so, um, you know, they go to sleep late and then when they're sleeping, they're, <laughs> they're you know, dead to the world. So waking up mm-hmm. multiple times at night. Um, those could all be clues for diabetes, not not all the time. Sometimes it's obviously other things, and a lot of um, a lot of um, you know people that have some of those symptoms doesn't mean they definitely have diabetes, but it's definitely something to look out for. Um, there could be you know sleep apnea, so snoring at night is something that usually the the child won't notice. It's usually the other family members. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the high blood pressure is something that you actually don't have any symptoms from. So that's why it's important to get the blood pressure at every, um, at every well visit. Um, there could be, you know, liver problems, which would present as, you know, stomach aches and things like that. Um, so those are probably the, some of the most common ones that, right. that I see. Right. Or even the dark skin on the back of the neck, that velvety. Dark skin. Yeah, so that's something usually um usually we'll see that more in the diabetes range, but that's something that mm-hmm. um is seen. It's called acanthosis nigricans mm-hmm. and it's seen uh most commonly either on the back of the neck or under the arms. And sometimes it'll, you know, parents will be like, Oh, I told them to shower and they're not, you know, they're not cleaning themselves, and then they realize it, it won't come off. It's like mm-hmm. a thickened, um, darkened velvety um patch, like I said, on the back of the neck or under the um, under the arms. That is usually a sign of either prediabetes or diabetes. Okay. So let's talk about what
1: we can do about it. You know, we've talked about, you know, what the numbers are, what they mean. And we've talked about, you know, some of the reasons why it's not good, which I think everybody knows.
2: Um, what can parents do about it? All right. So that is the million dollar question. question.
1: <laughs> I definitely have
2: you know, parents that come to me, they want a magic pill to make it all better, and I wish I had that.
1: Right, or a uh, magic obviously. diagnosis. Th- that's the right. labs. Right. Exactly
2: right. They want like hypothyroidism, right. take a pill, and you're better, which um, unfortunately is not the case. Um, and so, yeah, definitely, obviously, we can talk about this all night. But even before we get into specifics, um, and I know we mentioned this before, but you know, we both. Definitely agree that we want to, um, you know, harp on the point that, um, you know, we'll get into specifics, but this is not um, something that is, do not, not, do not criticize um, your child, do not shame them, keep it positive, um, it's not their fault. Um, you want to keep them and yourself focused on health, not on numbers. Um, you want to keep them, you know, body positive positive um all those um all those kind of you know key, key words that we that we talked about right and um, I'm going to
1: bring up the the idea that the whole yeah. family has to get involved like typically what Definitely. I see is the family comes in and they turn to the child and they say well how much should the child weigh or you have to stop eating right. that junk yeah and really the yeah. focus has to be on the family not the child and everybody
2: needs to have totally. healthy habits Totally. I mean, this really is best as a family approach, not singling out the child and Mm -hmm. really everyone in the family will benefit from these, you know, you know, healthy habits. And most, almost all kids, even honestly kids in the same family that are underweight, that need to gain weight. Most of these healthy habits actually apply to them, not obviously all of them, but most of them do. So it's really a whole family um, approach. And, you know, that being said, when, you know, we're talking about recommendations, it needs to be taken in the framework of the family dynamic, you know, mm-hmm. who's living in the house, who's buying the food, who's, mm-hmm. you know, watching the kids, um, what their resources are, what the allergies are, food sensitivities, um, you know, things like that. Absolutely. And and also, um, pressure doesn't
1: work, whether it's to eat more or to eat less. Nope,
2: nope, not.
1: And, and the other thing is not to reward kids with food. I mean, right. Our our whole lives, you know, and from the firm world revolve around eating. It seems, and yes. and it's true for school as well. I mean, think you know, mm-hmm. Shabbos parties and Shabbosim and Shabazaba mm-hmm. and
2: you
1: know, Chumash parties and whatever. Everything is food, food, food. Right, yeah. um, right. So it, it it makes it hard, and I think we also have to think about the child, you know, struggling with the weight in the context of of all of these. Yeah, um, I mean, challenges in different environments, not just even in the home. And, right. and also I have families who are, you know, spending time at one parent and the other parent, the parents may be divorced mm-hmm. or their grandma's babysitting or whatever. And you got to think about right, all right. of those environments. Right, Trying right. to get on the and, same page.
2: Yeah. And even more than a family approach, ideally, this is like on a global level and like the right. community approach and the schools when normal, in normal times when kids are in school, a lot of times more than they are at home. Right. Um, which hopefully we'll get back to, um, Everyone. you know, really having the school involved because the parents can be do everything right at home. And if they go to school and they're given, you know, certain things then, you know, and make, made given other, other, you know, foods or, you know, whatever it is, then, you know, it's not helpful. So really on a, really on a global level, um, and you know, there's tons of research of like community-based health programs, and you know that kind of approach really has the most successful impact, both in you know prevention and treatment of um, of obesity. So you know, as much as as much as we can.
1: Right, and one thing yeah, that, I'm always concerned mm-hmm. about, you know, at the age of adolescence.
2: Yeah. That's um, is say.
1: you know the classic scenario. I did a talk with um, actually a JoMA member who was very brave and told her story of an eating disorder, her own eating disorder, and it had that classic beginning of I was ten to fifteen pounds. Like somebody told yeah. me I
2: was a little too heavy, yeah. and the next thing you know, you have an eating disorder. Yeah, I mean that's that's classic because you know we're telling them basically, and this is what we're trying not to, but we as in the, the global we. Um, you know we're weighing them, and you know they see oh this number is not good because I have this number I have to do these certain things, and we really want to we we really don't want to focus on that, and we want to focus on health because once we start focusing on numbers, um, definitely increase risk for eating disorders. Um, so that's really especially in teenagers, but you know we're seeing them honestly in younger and younger kids these days. So really I'd say in all kids to really watching out for those for those signs.
1: Right. I'm also seeing, by the way, with COVID, I'm seeing kids who are getting more of a restrictive eating
2: disorder because of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everything that, you know, we're going to mention is being worsened by, you know, by COVID. I mean, even, you know, like we're saying, like, you know, school community-based approach and people are at home, um, you know, really, really everything is being negatively impacted by, by COVID. Right. Unfortunately. Right. And and Um, the
1: parents, you know, own feelings about food or their own history with food
2: yeah i I mean this is really a family you know family approach and obviously we're talking about you know pediatric but a lot of the you know the same issues that healthy habits are you know are completely acceptable and really for adults as well um it's harder for adults because they're doing whatever they're doing for so long and it's, it's harder to you know undo those bad habits but that's that's what we're trying to do Right. And when you say healthy habits, what are you referring to? Um, so just again, to specifics. And again, I want to keep this, I, and one thing actually, I want to keep this as food neutral as, pos- as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to talk about things that should be avoided or, you know, limited. Um, it shouldn't ever be said this is a quote unquote good food. This right. is a bad food. This is Dunk a junk food. food. Mm-hmm. This is a healthy food. Um, really focusing more, um, on the nutrients. Sometimes you can call things like a, an everyday food or a special mm-hmm. occasion food, which some people think, "Oh, that's the same, but it's just more focusing on, it's not focusing on the quantity of the food. It's focusing on, you know, your, your approach to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, some of the, you know, specifics, Um, and again, a lot of people know this and it's, it's, um, it's obviously much easier said than done, but, um, decreasing foods with the high, high fructose corn syrup, um, added sugar, um, decreasing foods with, you know, that are very calorie dense and high fat, um, decreasing, you know, takeout and fast food, um, and when getting fat and, or when, you know, some Again, we're into the family dynamic. If a family dynamic is they get takeout often for, you know, whatever reasons, um, then work within that framework, picking healthier choices, you know, of the fast food or of the takeout, you know. It's not ideal, but that's definitely, you know, need to work within the framework of the family. Um, one of the big, big things for me, and I'm sure for you as a pediatrician, is the sugary drinks, mm-hmm. um, soda, and includes juice. Um, I am just amazed at the advertising industry, how they can get um, smart people to say right. that 100% fruit juice means that it's healthy. It's if it's, or not it's organic. Or <laughs> organic, exactly. Organic does not mean right. healthy. Um, juice is just sugar. It spikes the blood right. sugar. Um, it causes variations in, in blood sugar. It's, it's not, it doesn't even fill you up. Um, it's empty calories, um, you know, for little kids, especially because causes a lot of, um, and bigger kids also, but especially, you know, kids that are drinking it all day because you know tooth decay. It's just, you know, juice juice should really um, everything else I say like decrease, and it definitely shouldn't be cold turkey. But that the goal should really be to eliminate. Right. No, I say the same thing, and and I find That's that people know about thing. soda.
1: Right. People yeah. know about right. soda almost one hundred percent. I find. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, and, I had one and little juice, boy who told me he drinks soda all day. So yeah. that that kid didn't know that family didn't, but yeah. but the vast majority do. But the juice yeah. is something yeah. that for some it's, reason people
2: still seem to think. About. You know why? Because the advertising, mm. you know, agencies are multimillion-dollar companies that are mm. you know are basically paying to make people think that juice is healthy. Whether, like you said, they call it organic or no added sugar or you know, a hundred percent natural or whatever they're, you know, they're having on the label.
1: Right. Right.
2: And so some that- people think like, oh, well, if they're going to have, you know, be like juice and orange, is that, is that the same? Isn't that the same as orange juice? And it's not, well, definitely eating whole fruits is definitely much better because it has the fiber and the fiber. Right. Um, It's definitely important. Um, Even if you juice your own orange, you are still getting some of that fiber. It's not, mm you know, not the same as, you know, opening up a a bottle of orange juice, but definitely increasing whole fruits, vegetables, that gives a dietary fiber, it increases fullness, it helps your blood sugar kind of, um, it doesn't spike, even if you're having, you know, sugary, as opposed to having something just with sugar, if you're having something with fat, and carbs and fiber, it kind of keeps your, you know, your blood sugar more steady and keeps you fuller for longer.
1: Right. And I think people also think carbs are bad. And that's actually...
2: That is not true. Not I've true. had parents say that even even in, in kids with diabetes. I take care of a lot of kids mm-hmm. with diabetes. Children need carbohydrates to grow. They need carbohydrates to grow. They need carbohydrates to grow. So they'll say, oh, you know, grandma has type 2 diabetes and she can't eat carbohydrates, so you shouldn't eat carbohydrates. Like, no. Um, kids need carbohydrates. It's about picking which carbohydrates, whole grains, high fiber, um, having, um, you know, portion control of the healthy plate. Um, you know, I know people have different, you know, resources. I look at, you know, the quick and easy thing I like to say, let's say for dinner, if you have a whole circle, half of it should be fruits and vegetables. The other half, one should be carbs and one should be a protein. Obviously not every meal is going to be perfect, but just as a general, you know, a general rule. Right.
1: And I, kids I like definitely to- need carbs. Right, right. And and they'll feel full for longer if they have more of that balanced meal. Like I think a mistake that a lot do is they let the kids eat these simple carb, you know, whether they're snacks or even just for a meal, they typically have bagels, you know, white bread, which is really mm-hmm. sugar, just like juice is sugar. Yeah. You know, these yeah. simple carbs. It's the, it's the mistake is to focus on carbs as a whole yeah. as opposed to understand that simple carbs will often be treated in your body just like white sugar. And right. be Although, again. you know,
2: again, it's not, it's not bad. It's just not something that should be all the time. And there are better choices if, right. you know, if they want to have, you know, a bagel, try a whole wheat bagel, you know, try brown rice, but maybe they won't like it. And then, okay, if you want your bagel, have it, you know, however often is, you know, you think is appropriate to have, you know, that it's not, but it's, it is, you know, the processed, you know, more of a processed so right, it's so not, more
1: right. What I'm saying is, more processed, yeah. you know, yeah. simple carbohydrates are often treated in the body like simple sugars, even similar mm-hmm. to juice. If I'm correct,
2: right, right. And
1: then the child, I mean, nothing it looks,
2: is nothing has mm-hmm. as right raises mm-hmm. the blood sugar as quickly as juice, and it's those mm-hmm. fluctuations that are really, right, um, you know, cause all the uh, you know hunger Habits. and eating mm-hmm. is is. Is a behavioral thing, but there's also, you know, tons of hormones that are released from the brain brain, mm-hmm, from the mm-hmm. stomach, when someone eats, when someone's fasting. You know, there's a lot of different um hormones that, you know, cause someone to be hungry or cause someone to um to stop eating, to feel full. So um juice especially is one of those things. In you know, when it causes that huge spike in the blood sugar and then a very quick um decline, those kinds of spikes and falls are really um you know, kind of mess up the the hormones that make you feel full. Um so that's another issue with them. Right. And speaking of feeling full, you know, there are some kids who eat very quickly. And how
1: long does it take? I think it takes like 15 minutes for you to actually, you know, start feeling full from the time you start eating.
2: Yeah, it's even closer to twenty minutes. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of a lot of the other, you know, healthy habits are not even about what what you're eating, it's Mm -hmm. how you're eating. Right. Um, so, you know, we talked about, um, they said feeling full, so eating, you know, eating slowly, um, eating, um, you know, at structured times, again, it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be at the exact time. And obviously again, COVID, this is terrible for the lack of structure, um, because that is something that's important, um, kind of keeping structure, you know, three meals a day, you know, one or two snacks, depending on the age and, you know, the child's schedule. Um, not having, you know, screens, whether it's phones or TVs at the table. Um, not just like picking and grazing and kind of snacking all day, like more discreet, whether it's a meal or a snack. Um, but but also, you know, noticing if, if you're hungry and it's not mealtime, you, you can eat to so just, you know, need to, you know, be aware that, okay, why am I doing this? If it's because I'm hungry, then I'm going to eat but there are many other reasons why people eat. And that's um, another big issue of recognizing um, eating cues. So mm-hmm. often it is hunger. So if it's hunger, we want we want you to eat 100%. But a lot of times people are eating because they're bored, uh, because they're sad, lonely, um, you know, tons of other, of other reasons. Um, and, you know, that really needs to be addressed. And people, um, it, it's hard, but we need to try to, tune into you know, why you're eating so that we can address it appropriately. If you're eating because you're hungry, you need to eat. If you're eating uh, eating because you're bored, that needs to be addressed. If you're eating because you're depressed, then that definitely needs to be addressed. And these obviously are all addressed in different ways. And again, COVID for all of these things, for boredom, loneliness, depression. I mean, it's really every single thing that we're talking about, unfortunately. And we're definitely seeing um, you know, increase in um in obesity and obesity, mm-hmm. you know, related um health problems even over this even over this short period of time. That is really, you know, it's really something that we want to address.
1: Right. And and here's where I give my plug for nutritionists. I mm-hmm. I depend on, on the one in my practice area that takes, Mm -hmm. you know, many insurances. Um, Mm -hmm. You can definitely look into your insurance plan, you know, and see if you can get it covered. Um, I think it's so, so important. I think it's also important from the perspective of autonomy of the child, once they're old enough, because the problem is again, Mm -hmm. once they feel that you want them to do something that you're pressuring them, they don't want want to to do the opposite. (laughs) Right. So if you have someone to work with them, that can be the person that has that conversation.
2: Definitely. Because I know in you know,
1: nutrition, I don't have the time. I really, I don't have time. It's not appropriate. Yeah. Right. You know, the short right. visits I have.
2: Yeah. No, so so for me as a specialist, I mean, I do have more time and I do go into more detail and, mm. you know, when I see these kids and go into, new, you know, a lot of the nutrition. Mm. Um, but I 100% refer to a nutritionist. Um, you know, pretty often. And I always tell families whether it's, you know, in in these kids, they can have a lot of different specialists involved, whether it's a pediatrician, um, nutritionist, endocrinologist, some are seeing a gastroenterologist as well. Um, You know, they can have different specialists involved. And, you know, it's important to know the role of each because there definitely is overlap, but there Mm -hmm. definitely are different areas of focus and expertise Um, within each one and it's so important though that with each one it needs to work for your child they can be the world's expert in something or they can be have great reviews or the best at this but if it's not a good dynamic with the family with the child then it's not going to work right if it makes Um, anybody feel guilty or whether it's the mother or the child yeah or whether it is sometimes it's not that they're doing you know it's not about the guilt or if they're doing something wrong it's just not a good fit It's does you know for whatever reason it needs you know it needs to be something that is it's a very personal and it's a kind of like a long-term thing it's not a one visit and then you know we're fixing everything so right. it really needs to be like a like a good relationship
1: right it's not a sprint um, and it's a marathon
2: right? exactly yeah and you know the parents really are the advocates and they have to um try to you know, see, is this working, and it doesn 't mean they don't need it if it doesn't work with one nutritionist and find another one you mm-hmm. know um mm-hmm. it really it really is um, important right. and one other thing actually that we didn't uh, mention before, speaking of the parents as advocates, but really I mean even no matter what the age of the kid is involving involving the children in it is mm-hmm. um, a much more productive way, as opposed to, you know, telling a child what to do, even, even in a positive way, but involving them, um, even, you know, child is six or seven involving them in meal prep and, you know, cutting up food into fun shapes and, you know, involving them in preparing dinner, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is, but really um, involving them so that it's, um, again, it's not their fault. It's, um, it's really making them develop a healthy relationship with food, healthy body image. Um, so involving them so it's not you or or the or the doctor or the nutritionist telling them what they can and cannot do what they cannot cannot eat they're involved in it so then you know they're going to be more invested in it
1: right and you also want healthy food choices to be fun you know you don't want it to just be well, there's the yummy junk right. food and then the boring healthy right. food
2: for sure. Yeah.
1: And you can get information online. You can get information from books. It doesn't have to be a nutritionist. Yeah. If you know, you know, not. I can't mean,
2: find a good online, one. online is an endless, an, an endless pit for good or for bad. I mean, Google is <laughs> for good or for bad. You can get lots of wacko things, but there definitely is, of course, good information. It's always important to see like where the information that you're coming, where the information that you're reading is coming from. Um, I do, you know, I mean, everyone Google's everything before they go to the doctor these days. So, which I'm going to tell people they shouldn't because they're going to anyway. But it's just kind of being mindful of, you know, what you're reading, where it's coming from, um, and thinking about that. Right. And
1: what about diets? What about going on a diet? Um, so I'm not talking about little you know, children. Let's talk about older like, kids.
2: Yeah, I don't even like the word diet. It has so many, um, so many implications and assumptions mm-hmm. and and stigma and. Mm-hmm. And I just don't like that word. Um, I think it implies, you know, calorie restriction, which we don't want to do. I think it has, it has so many implications. Um, And some people, when they say that word, they mean that some don't, but I just, I just don't like to use the word diet. I talk about healthy eating, lifestyle changes. um, And, you know, I, I just don't like to use that word.
1: Right, I'm, I'm also thinking That's about easy. the diet culture and getting kids yeah. started in the diet culture. And when we say diet yeah, culture, you think about like what is that word? Ping pong dieting? No, there's a word for it. Yo yo dieting. Yo, thank you. Yeah. Ping pong yo yo. Wrong wrong <laughs> toy. My, I hear it. I hear it. <laughs> there's actually a book. I don't know if you've yeah. read it. It's called This Is Big, and it's a book about the founder of Weight Watchers and the woman who wrote it struggled. With her weight from her earliest years. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, it's typical to go on a diet, you know, lose weight on a diet and then regain it and have possibly even greater struggles.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, the literature shows that people that go on quote unquote diets, you know, large percentages either don't, you know, over the long term don't keep off the weight. And again, this is an adults. Um, and one thing with kids, especially, that's why um, I love kids because they are. They are growing in height. So, uh, except, you know, some of the older teenagers that I see, but um, they have an advantage that no adult has is that even if they maintain their weight, their BMI can go down. So, a lot of them, and I definitely start with this they don't need to lose weight. I don't focus on losing weight, I don't talk about losing weight. We talk about healthy habits. And if they, you know, if they press me, cause some people are like, well, sh- sh- how much weight should I lose? What should I lose? I say, I don't want you to lose weight. If you can maintain your weight, that's great. Cause you're growing. And then by definition, your BMI will go down. Um, right. Right. Cause parents will ask me what weight should they what, be? Uh, I, I know. That question. Well, they, <laughs> I don't. They're, they are the weight they are and let's work on the healthy eating, healthy lifestyle. Um, and again, I'm not saying we're not measuring their BMI and we're not measuring their weight. We are because, like I said, we need to have, you know, we need to have these cutoffs and you know quantification so that we can, you know, address it appropriately. But it a hundred percent should not be the focus.
1: Right. And what about the um, children who
2: are really, you know, more
1: significantly obese? Their their weight is really disproportionately, you know, going so, up. And you tried the basics already.
2: Yeah. So I um, mean, again, I mean, I I mentioned some of the obesity syndromes. So that's when you know if it's really Um, significant, definitely, you know, think about those. Um, I mean, there are even, you know, there are, this is like way down the line after, after, and in addition to the healthy lifestyles that we still actually haven't finished talking about all the points, um, that there are medications, you know, but Mm -hmm. they are like, I don't want to say last resort, but they're, you know, really after at least a few, usually a few years of trying, um, you know, these, you know, lifestyle changes. Um, And then even then, even with the medications, still needing to do these, um, you know, healthy, you know, healthy lifestyle. Um, So it's not like, oh, let's wait, and then there's this, you know, magic medication. It's not like that. Sometimes kids will need medication if they're starting to have some of these comorbidities, like, you know, pre-diabetes, diabetes, high blood pressure, that, of course, will treat, you know, as soon as it's diagnosed, which is why it's important to do, you know, regular labs on, um, for these children, but just for the weight, no, that's really like, you know, after all this.
1: Right. Although
2: Mm -hmm. I think that there are more extreme
1: ends where they, you know, even in teenagers, they might be using a certain medication. It was a medication that was just approved for, for adolescents. Um,
2: I don't remember the name of it. Um, well, the GLP ones, maybe, is that I know if that's what you're talking about? There are, there are medications. I'm not going to say there aren't medications, right. but it's like, it's, it's, it's not like first, first second, third, or fourth, you know? Right. First it's really all the, you know, all the, um, you know, the food um, interventions like we spoke about. And then right. we didn't even speak about some of the other, the whole other aspect is, um, you know, physical activity. Oh, right. Um, mm-hmm. Which is so, so important. Um, you know, the goal is really at least to start with at least 20 minutes of, you know, physical activity, at least five days a week. And when I tell um, kids physical activity, it's not just like, you know, slowly, you know, strolling down the street. It's like they need to be sweating. Um, and, you know, really, um, you know, really, I don't even need to call it exercise. It could be walking. It could be dancing. They could be playing sports. You know, it could be fun. I want it to be fun, but really, um, you know, really having at least 20 minutes every day um, of physical activity. Uh, We mentioned kind of briefly, but um, healthy sleep patterns and sleep hygiene Mm -hmm. is so, so important. Mm -hmm. Um, It's important for just growth in general, growth hormone. I always tell kids to sometimes help them sleep better because teenagers just don't want to sleep. The growth hormone is secreted at night, so they grow better if they sleep. And it's it's, it's true. (laughs) It's not just something that we tell kids, Um, but it's really important to have proper sleep um limiting screen time overall is like another huge huge um huge issue and you know we mentioned and we keep mentioning this that COVID is really hitting on all of these um in a negative way unfortunately and it's it's really you know causing you know like we said such an increase um in these issues um and then you know really just seeing what else is going on in the family like we mentioned this is a family approach so what else is going on in the family are there family stretchers stresses that are going on and you know you can have you know eat healthy and do physical activity but if there is you know if there's a big stressor in the family if the parents are going through divorce if there is you know financial concerns if there's depression um you know that really needs to be addressed in order for this to to really have an impact so you know Look out for those you know as a obviously as a parent, as a pediatrician, as um, anybody looking out for them and referring appropriately
1: right, so that, right. so um, if you do, do have that. all of these mental health you know um, mm-hmm. issues, you can definitely get help for that, and that may actually help with with the appropriate eating
2: yeah, I mean a hundred percent there's so much you know psychology and um feelings ingrained in you know eating and what right. you eat and how you eat and when you eat. Um, so, you know, that really it's needs to be addressed concurrently. Right. And I do want
1: to point out that I've done a number of talks that people can listen to after this one that address Mm -hmm. a lot of related issues. We did one on intuitive eating. Um, Mm -hmm. I did one with a regular nutritionist for adults. I -hmm. did one um, recently called hunger games on, you know, um, healthy eating habits from the very beginning. And I want to thank you yeah. for doing this with me. I just want to end oh, with I want to end on a positive note because I feel like Definitely. Saying, this is just impossible because of COVID this is just impossible. I know, I know. So, it's, hard. It's so hard hard It's so, so hard, and
2: that's why the easiest thing for this talk would be not to have it like we right. said. It's so stigmatized, right. and it's right. so there's so much negative from it, and it's hard. It is so hard. It's hard for the kids, it's hard for their parents, it's hard for the doctors. it's hard. It's hard for everybody. Um, right, but if we don't talk about it, you know that that I think we're really doing our kids a disservice. We need to, you know, talk about it, and, and you. We both know how much time we spend talking about <laughs> this and <nothing laughs> forth, and obsessing, and you know, really going about this in the most sensitive way. But it it's really so so crucial. Right, and I think we have to be compassionate
1: with, with ourselves and with our children. And you know, we can accept them as they are and love them as they are, and try, you know, 100%. in that setting, you know, without shame, without blame, you know, to get them the help to be as healthy as they can. Hundred
2: percent, a hundred percent. I thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh, thank you so much
0: for having me. Hey, thanks. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J O W M A dot org, or email us at at healthjoma.org.